My name is Jennifer Nicolaisen, and I'm the executive director of Seek Healing. So how did Seek Healing come about? Well, that's a good question. It's kind of a long story. I'm not sure exactly where to start here. So we started the organization. We got our 501c3 status back in 2017, began the pilot program in Western North Carolina in 2018. But prior to all that, the original inception for the whole idea had to do with my own personal experience. First, supporting someone who I love and care about a lot, moving through the experience of addiction. And then truthfully, my experience going through that process, supporting my friend and realizing through my relationship with her, how much addiction is actually a universal experience for most human beings. And it really drew my attention to my own experience of addiction, um, which up until that point, I had been kind of turning a blind eye to. So long story short, my friend was dying from uh, her, her bond with heroin is how we talk about addiction and seek healing. We prefer this word bonding rather than addiction. And her bond with heroin was really killing her. She had OD'd a number of times, been to rehab many times, and um, was really kind of at the end of her options. And I just through some serendipity, the universe brought us together and I agreed to partner with her and help her find her way to an alternative kind of treatment program. Um, it's a psychedelic assisted therapy called uh, Ibogaine, Ibogaine assisted detox. It's not available in the US. Um, so I helped her get down to Mexico to engage in this therapy and this process. And the treatment itself is incredible. It was a, a miracle, truly what I witnessed for her. Um, but, you know, I'm here today to talk about not necessarily the treatment itself, because truthfully, although psychedelic assisted detox is a, a powerful and incredible mechanism, it doesn't really matter what people's experience of the addiction treatment process is. The truth for almost any type of addiction or mental health treatment process is that once you're done, there's pretty much nothing. You get out of rehab, you get out of your PHP, you get out of your IOP program, and the world's kind of like, all right, you're sober now. Get back in it, you know, get a job do do the thing that you're supposed to do as a as a happy healthy adult in this world which is uh challenging when the world that we live in is not built for community is not built to create the types of relationships that it takes to sustain a healthy lifestyle um so we experienced that with her after her treatment process there was no sort of community aftercare program to support her in reintegrating what she had learned during her treatment into everyday life. So I would say that was half the motivation. And then the other half of the motivation really was my own realization, witnessing her go through this process um, of how profoundly addicted I was at the time to um, amphetamines, alcohol, cocaine, things that felt very um, in my world at the time, socially acceptable, because I was high functioning, I was making a lot of money, my colleagues were doing these things. Um, but I realized going through that process with her, how profoundly disconnected and unhappy I was uh, at a very basic level. And the, um, it was just truly a profound realization for me to understand how much, or just to experience how much healing was possible just in relationship and connecting with her and getting real with her about what was going on with her, her asking me what was going on with me. And realizing that that process in and of itself was a hundred thousand times more valuable than any therapy we could have paid for. So the Seek Healing model is designed to be a accessible community aftercare program that really utilizes community mental health principles to activate people, neighbors, community members to show up for each other 
and create that therapeutic integrative space that we all need to be happy, healthy human beings. So I was talking to a former Marine today and he was talking about, you know, once they leave the military, there's like no purpose or anything like that. And it's similar to what you were saying with uh, leaving treatment uh, facility and all that, because, you know, a lot of the things you still need help. So how important is it to, you know, have this type of support system for, you know, people just to listen, to <laughs> help you, uh, you know, get out of what you're going through? Exactly. It's critical. And there's fewer and fewer opportunities for it in our world. You know, our the social fabric of how we interact with each other has shifted so much in the past 10 years. I think we're only just beginning to understand the impact that these things have on our daily capacity for just making, making and sustaining friendships, um, which the research shows is quite critical to us being able to function um, in a healthy way to have our psychological needs met. Um, yeah, I just get nervous about how we're not listening to each other enough. <laughs> and that that's a big thing with, uh, you know, mental illness and all that. A lot of people are afraid to, you know, say something like uh, I have bipolar too. And I didn't mm -hmm. say anything for two and a half years just because I was nervous what people would think and all that. So, you know, how is it that you've seen these people, you know, uh, get out of their comfort zone and uh, communicate? It's not a simple process, I think, for any of us. And I also just want to say thank you so much for sharing with me so openly and honestly. It sounds like probably with your listeners as well. I feel like that's probably the most important thing that any of us can do to fight stigma and to start not only fight stigma, but also just promote our own wellness, yeah. um, vulnerability, you know, being authentic, being real about what's going on. And then when we hear someone else's authentic, vulnerable truth, uh, actually listening to it without trying to contextualize it or judge it or, you know, make it sound either good or bad. Just be like, cool, that's what you've got going on what's up here's what I got going on you know um, but it's to your point or to your question it's not that's not how we're raised or taught to communicate with each other most of our social conditioning and communication models are all around problem solving most conversations uh, at least in western society the way that we orient and are taught to orient from a very young age to every conversation is that there's some problem getting surfaced so if someone says for example like um, shares I have bipolar too rather than just hearing that the, it comes up and it's uh, understood and framed as a problem. So then it's like, oh, well, have you tried this therapy or have you tried that one? You know, have you done breath work? Have you tried whatever, whatever the thing is, rather than just uh, hearing and accepting what our experiences are? We really operate from this problem solution mindset. And much of what Seek Healing does, the majority of our programming and training really is around how to experientially teach a different way of being in conversation. Um, I often explain that it's kind of like meditation for conversation. I was never much for like a sitting still and meditate kind of person. Um, so a lot of our practices and trainings, you can think about like, how can I, this is all about meditating while I'm talking to you. It's all about like, how present can I be? How can I just listen to you without planning what I'm going to say next? How can I hear what you got going on without trying to fix or change it? Um, it's kind of a radical way of being in conversation, but it's incredible how settling it is to our nervous systems when we start to show up for conversation in, in this new kind of way. Can you tell me about some of the programs you have? Sure. Yeah, so our programs break down into three major areas, um, education. 
So we offer all, uh, all free or pay what you can donation basis, um, public health education about how to communicate and build relationships in a healthy way. So training and education, and then facilitated experiences of human connection. So we do those in group formats as well as one-on-one. Um, some of the group formats are alternative uh, recovery meetings. They're called connection practice meetings, where we just listen to each other rather than follow like a 12-step model or anything like that. Um, there's other group experiences like social events and workshops and things like that all offered for free to the community. And then our one-on-one experiences are things like we run a listening line where anybody can call in and just talk and be listened to by a volunteer. Um, we also pair people up to practice listening and connecting with each other, both virtually and in real life. Um, the whole thing is really just a kind of a beautiful playground of different experiments for getting people to show up in connection and community with each other. What are some of the things you've learned in these uh, meetings, just hearing from other people? Oh my gosh. <laughs> what a great question, Michael. So many things. So many things. I I have been forever changed, truly, by being in these meetings, by hearing other people's perspectives, especially because the way that Seek Healing operates, it's inviting people who struggle with mental health overtly, as well as just anyone in the community who wants more connection. So, you know, there's people who say I'm in recovery or I struggle with addiction, as well as, you know, your neighbor from down the street who is looking to make more friends. And so it's like a really diverse group of people who end up in the circles. Um, I mean, I would say one of the things that I've learned more than anything is how universal the human struggle is and how, you know, we all feel like we're, I mean, there's a way in which the individual experiences we're having truly are completely unique. And there's these threads of universal experience through them all. There's like almost everything has something that I can relate to and I can connect to if I slow down enough to actually listen and feel into to my own my own experience of what that person's going through. So what are some of your um, motivations? Because you said early that this is your life's work of, (laughs) so how is you know how is that uh how does all that motivate you i really appreciate your questions it's a really crazy time to be alive right now you know everything that's happened the past couple years with the pandemic and climate change and just so much social unrest and what we're trying to figure out as a one big human collective. And um, I just believe very, very passionately that we won't be able to solve any of these bigger problems if we can't collaborate with each other, if we can't relate and listen to each other first. Like all of human creativity and genius throughout our evolutionary history has come through the moments where we collaborate with each other and we figure out how to do things together as a group. And um, what scares me more than anything is how divided we've become and how disconnected we've become. It feels like that is like this slow bleed on what makes being a human being magical. And so I, yeah, I'm just deeply, deeply motivated both for the 
the future of uh, our planet as well as you know the future and well-being of the people I love in my life um, for us to figure out how to connect with each other um, and start to do it on a more sustainable way. You brought it up a little bit, but uh, what were the challenges during uh, coronavirus? Because it, it was really tough for people with uh, mental health issues. Yeah, I think COVID really just highlighted these issues more than anything. It, um, demand for our services has increased exponentially since the start of the pandemic. I think for the first time, the majority, like we've been talking about social isolation and how the world is becoming more and more disconnected for, you know, five years or so now but from before the pandemic started. And, uh, you know, many people in mental health were, were starting to talk about that and this um, idea of social health that I'm promoting here. Um, but during the pandemic, I think is when mainstream society started to like really realize and get like, oh, it's not good for me when I'm alone in my house for six months. Um, <laughs> it doesn't matter who you are, there's going to be some difficult things that show up in your mental health. And it's kind of like this great universal, like, um, just bringing us all back to baseline and what it means to be human. Like we all need connection in order to be well and to live our best lives. And so, you know, the pandemic in many ways, it's like a bittersweet thing because I don't want there to be more demand for our services, but it has uh, shone a light on what we're doing and brought it more to the forefront of attention. I think, you know, for the different funders that we work with and the populations that we serve, um, and unfortunately, in the service work itself, um, the stakes are just getting higher and higher every day. I mean, you probably know the most recent data from the CDC show that overdose fatalities increased by more than 30% um, 2020 to 2021. And um, we're still waiting on reliable data regarding suicide attempt rates, but uh, it looks like the increase has been pretty exponential as well. So um, yeah, there's just a very clear correlation with isolation and uh, fatal mental health conditions. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. Because when you are alone, it, it feels like you're the only one going through an issue or whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, what advice would you give, you know, people that feel isolated? Mm. <clears throat> well, there's so many different ways you can feel isolated. You know, if you're out there listening to this, and you're feeling literally isolated by like just living alone at home, um, not having anybody else to, to interact with. Hmm. Well, I mean, the first advice that comes to my mind is uh, check out Seek Healing. We run online meetings every day of the week. Um, anybody can log on. It doesn't cost anything to join. And you're immediately in a virtual circle of people who um, are there to listen to you and just hear anything that you have to say. And it gives you a chance to listen to other people too, which sometimes is what we need more than even sharing ourselves. So I definitely encourage folks to check out um, our calendar. There's also other social health organizations like us that offer similar types of things online, um, increasingly available. And if you're the other kind of isolated, which is I'm actually surrounded by people all the time, um, but I still feel really lonely and I still feel like I'm like somehow I'm around people, but nobody gets me. Um, my advice would be to start working with some of the tools that we teach about and seek healing. So see next time you're in a conversation, see what it's like to slow down and stop yourself from jumping in. Maybe you're like really used to just see what it's like to be quiet and notice your own impulses to jump into conversation in certain places and start to ask yourself questions about why am I jumping in in this moment? Is it to solve a problem? Is it to like 
show up in a way that makes me look good or has this person like me? Am I orienting to my conversations as transactions? And wherever I'm doing that, how can I maybe shift from conversation being a transactional experience to something that's actually good for my health? And there's some really simple ways that we can do that, um, practicing with active listening, things like reflecting what we heard the other person say. You can play with curious questions. So not leading questions, but genuinely curious questions. Um, and sharing impact is the other tool that we work with in Seek Healing. And, you know, if that piques your interest, again, you can check out Seek Healing. And um, we offer free trainings and meetings all the time to, to practice with these tools. But it's really, um, you know, they're, it can be hard to start to actually incorporate into your everyday conversation. But once you wrap your head around them, they're really quite simple um, and incredibly beneficial to start using in practice. So when I was uh, setting up this interview, I talked to a uh, few of uh, the people who are helping out uh, the organization and all that. How does it feel to have, you know, such passionate people to help, you know, spread this message? Incredible. I'm so grateful for my team, Michael. I'm just... I wake up every day feeling so honored and blessed to work with the people who I work with. It feels like we're all just deeply motivated by the same passion that I was describing earlier. And more than anything, what I love is that we've built an organization that operates on these same principles of listening deeply, really caring about each other, slowing down, you know, taking the time that it takes to be in genuine relationship with each other. So I just love working somewhere where I'm working with friends and working with people who I can trust, um, working with community, you know, cause I, I just know for my own mental health, uh, community is what keeps me alive. And, um, I'm grateful that I have that in my workplace. So what are your goals in the next, you know, three to five years, uh, for the organization? Mm, next three to five years. Well, what we've done here in North Carolina I'm calling from Asheville, Asheville, North Carolina, um, which is in the western part of the state. And since we started the pilot program in 2018, these last four years, we've run uh, a really successful pilot. Uh, the program's reached over 3,000 people. We have some really beautiful impact data to show how folks who are involved with the program have a measurable decrease in their experience of loneliness, leave our meetings feeling more connected, um, have specific uh, learnings and transformations around their capacity for social emotional learning. So basically the experiment has gone really well and we've figured out how to do it in a local area. So the next step is to see how we can take this to other cities and um, we're starting to uh, spread our, our fingers on the ground in a couple, pla couple places. The, the model is all grassroots organizing. Um, so the idea is actually empower community members to start uh, creating these meetings and spaces uh, for each other in their in their nearby communities and um, working with local treatment centers in a, in a kind of hyper local way. So I envision, you know, within the next couple of years that we have Seek Healing chapters in five to 10 cities uh, across the U.S. and three to five years, you know, I'd hope to see at least one in every state in this great union. That would be great. Uh, so how can people, uh, reach out to you? You can, uh, well, find us online at seekhealing.org. We also have an Instagram account out there. It's just at seekhealing. And, um, yeah, the website lists all the ways to get involved. 
Um, if you want to start a conversation with someone on our team, you just email conversations at seekhealing.org. Um, but on the website, there's plenty of buttons everywhere where you can, where it says get started, or actually, I think you can go to seekhealing.org slash get started uh, and fill out the form to join the community. Um, you'll give us some like basic information, but once you fill that out, someone will actually call you uh, a community member from one of our communities will call just to, to talk. We call it having a first conversation. Um, and from there you can figure out how to get involved in the other things, whether you just want to come to a meeting or sign up for listening training, which is a little bit more like a, like a class. Um, and, uh, yeah, just kind of get started from there.